Good morning. So good to see you. I'm so grateful for the rain. Last uh, Sunday, on this very day, we were with uh, Preston Sprinkle at our men's retreat. I know Brian mentioned that, and uh, he had just published a book on discipleship, Go, Returning Discipleship to the Front Lines of Faith. So I wanted to, uh, to carry forward that th- thought, especially some things that he said in that final uh, episode with us together on Sunday a week ago, tied in with uh, the messages that I've been doing on our vision statement, Inspiring Christ-likeness, Reaching Out, Raising Up, Reverencing Christ Together, And so this morning I wanted to look at some of those things, but I'm going to have to kind of filter it through my own life. And maybe that's a good thing because, uh, one, I'm no Preston Sprinkle, and two, by digesting it myself, maybe it'll look a little bit more uh, familiar and uh, something um, more uh, possible for you in your life, even as I find uh, these things in my life. With uh, that in mind, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Familiar words to us on discipleship. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To make disciples, and I, you know, I've, I've been around now for quite a while. To make disciples, Jesus doesn't tell us here. He doesn't tell us what to teach. He doesn't tell us how, the how-tos, the nine steps, the 15 steps to making disciples. But to teach and to make disciples, we've got to look like Jesus. We've got to look like true followers. We don't want to be like someone who kind of puts the lie to what we're doing or what we're talking about or who we're representing by the way we live our lives. And so there's a a genuineness to it. There's a correspondence between what Jesus did, his heart, what he cared about, and our heart and what we care about. And that grows over time. It didn't happen just like that. It's a kind of an immersion process where you, uh, you kind of sh- shed this world and become more like Christ. I was talking about being a disciple uh, some years ago, and, and the guy that I was talking with, um, he said, I don't want to be a disciple. I just want to be a Christian. And that raises the question, what is a disciple? Well, you probably have a pretty good idea, but let me just give you a couple of um, 
key thoughts that you can uh, hang on to, uh, fundamentals, so to speak, of what the word disciple means. Uh, the word that we translate disciple is a Greek word, and it denotes a learner, a pupil, a student in its most uh, basic sense. In Acts, uh, in the New Testament, in Acts, uh, particularly in the Gospels, it, the dis word disciple occurs in the Gospels 230 times. In the book of Acts, it occurs 28 times. In Acts 11, verse 26, chapter 11, verse 26, it says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So a Christian is another word for a disciple. And indeed, there are other occasions in Acts where the word disciple is associated very clearly with a believer. So a Christian, a disciple, and a believer, in some respects, should be interchangeable. I happened, uh, just in my reading, came across a definition of a disciple, the word used in Greek. Because uh, the word was not exclusive to Jesus and his followers. It was used outside the New Testament. It had a pretty rich history. The, the great Greek philosophers, their pupils, their followers, uh, their disciples were called by the same Greek word that the disciples of Jesus are called. And yet, I did find this, uh, this really dandy, uh, handy, I thought it was really a cool example from a Greek philosopher who was a contemporary of Paul. He uses the very word that's used in the New Testament, and he defines it. He's uh, in a discussion, and this is a, here's a little piece. If someone is a follower, and this is a, a person who's devoted to a teacher or a philosopher. If someone is a follower, he would also be a pupil. And that's the word that's translated disciple in the Gospels and Acts. For whoever really follows anyone surely knows what that person is like and by imitating his acts and words, he tries as best he can to make himself like him. Now that's exactly what we see going on with Jesus' disciples in the Gospels and in the early church in the book of Acts. And it's just a perfect definition of someone who's a follower, someone who's devoted, who, in his words, knows him well, and wants to make himself like him. In fact, he concludes with the words, that is precisely what the pupil, the disciple, does. Imitates the one he follows. Jesus gave the same definition to his disciples. He says, I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. John 13, 15. Paul said, follow me, imitate me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 
chapter 11, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 16. And in 1 Thessalonians 1, 16, uh, pardon me, 1, 6, he wrote, you became imitators of us and of the Lord and have become an example to all the believers. Although Jesus didn't tell his first disciples how to make disciples and how to teach them, it's pretty clear that it involved a life of Christ-like words and actions. Jesus himself was a disciple-maker. He said, follow me. And the reason uh, I wanted to set that out is because in the background of what Preston Sprinkle was speaking to us at men's retreat about, was an experience of my own life and is a, a current experience among millennials that he was talking about, this current generation who came of age, adulthood, in the year 2000, so we're in the millennials' age. And as I said, um, he gave us seven things uh, that he really felt was important, uh, seven observations for discipleship in the coming generation. And that struck a chord with me because I left the church as a junior in high school. And you might say, how did you get away with that as a junior in high school? Well, my dad was out of the home. Uh, he'd left us, and it was just me and my mom, and I was bigger than her. And I said, that's it, I'm gone. And I had lots of excuses, lots of excuses for why I was leaving the church. And it was all about finding fault in people. Finding fault in people at church. Finding fault in people that I thought, because they were in church, they must be disciples and Christians. Well, that was kind of the background because uh, Preston Sprinkle was saying, in effect, if we're going to be attentive to what's going on in the church today and this generation, uh, here are seven things that uh, we need to be mindful of. And here are some observations uh, for the coming generation. And these are things that should be true of a disciple and uh, true of a mindful disciple, true of discipleship. The first one, and these follow the notion of, you know what, I want, I want Jesus to show up in my life and be visible, so to speak, in the, in the character of my heart, in the character of what I value, the way I talk, uh, the person that I am. And these things show up in these observations. The first one is, if authentic relationships aren't flourishing, then discipleship is not happening. You can't have discipleship without relationship. That's fundamental. You can't have discipleship without relationship. And this should encourage us because discipleship is not about how much we know although I used to think it was, or that it was confined to that, but it's broader than that. I used to think, I've got to know a lot. I've got to be a Bible whiz to be a discipler. And that's not really the case. It's not about how much 
you know it's how real you are. It's not about how perfect you are. It's about how devoted to Christ you are because, and I, this is news breaking. This is, uh, this is a flash that you will never be perfect. You will never be perfect. So the sooner you get comfortable with that, the sooner people who are looking to you will get comfortable with that fact in their lives and they'll realize this isn't some big hidden secret. And we don't have to try and pretend and be somebody we aren't. That's very important to me. Um, I, uh, my title here at Grace Community Church is Senior Pastor, and I'm truly growing into that title. But I find that around the city and across the nation, that title is being replaced by the title Lead Pastor. I kind of like that, Lead Pastor. Uh, and that's exactly how I see my role. I have certain responsibilities that define my job description that nobody else does. But you know, most important in my position, and it would be true if I were in another position, because it should be true in my position as a husband, it should be true in my position as a father, it should be true in my position as a friend, it should be in, true in every position of my life is that I want to be a lead Christian. It's kind of a joke, and the staff likes to make fun of me, and I can laugh at myself, although I privately retire to my office and cry. <laughs> no, that's not true. And I guess you heard, I listened to Corey's message last week. It was really good. And I, I wake up occasionally, and there he is, staring at me. <laughs> if you heard the sermon, you would, <laughs> you would get that joke. But there is something of a joke that, you know, if I'm human. Sometimes I'm not always in the greatest mood. I try to be out front about that with the staff because I want them to be able to read me. I want them to know that, you know, what is it that's on my mind or my heart? And by the way, in your relationships, if you do that, it will help people interpret you. They may take it personally. Yeah, they shouldn't do that. They, shouldn't, they should always think the best of you. But that's not the way we are as human beings, is it? So sometimes it helps, but occasionally also, sometimes I bark a little. And then I catch myself and I think, I could have done that but differently, or that wasn't in the right spirit. And so sometimes if it's in uh, with the whole staff, I let them know right there. Sometimes if it isn't, I have to go back to their office or go to them and tell them, I, I'm sorry. I didn't handle that well. And I do some fence mending. That's about being authentic, isn't it? That's about being real. That's about, you know, when the, when the Spirit of the Lord pricks my conscience, then I have to respond to that. And that is really fundamentally what, what we're supposed to be as Christians, is more real and better versions of ourselves in Jesus Christ. In family, there's great opportunity to be a true lead Christian or true disciple or lead follower would be even a better expression as I was uh, 
reminded this last week. We should all be lead followers of Jesus Christ because when we follow him, in a way, that is how we lead out in Christ and set an example, and that's how we present a better picture of Jesus Christ, a truer picture of who Jesus is than if we're trying to fake it or be counterfeit because we're trying to protect ourselves in some way. And yet that's, that leads to a bifurcated or schizophrenic life in which we compartmentalize our Christian life and live our real life. And we don't want that. We want to be as true on Sunday as we are on every day. It was a huge challenge for me as a young follower, young in life, young in age, and young in experience in following Christ, newly married and wanting to live out that Christian life in the home. And marriage complicated it, I want you to know. When I'm by myself, it's really easy to be a great Christian. I'm just one of the best Christians in the world. But that's, you know, they, that's where it becomes authentic. And disciples have to be authentic because we're trying to point people to him when we're discipling. We're trying to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Do what I'm doing. That's what Paul said, you know. Do what I'm doing as I follow Christ. Let me set an example and that has to be true in every area of our lives. I'll be real candid with you. I'm kind of getting ahead into some of these points, but I'll be able to move through them faster because you'll see the connections. But being authentic, being, being genuine, you know, being real, uh, not being full of pretension, being honest, being worthy of belief. That's a good expression. That's what we want to be. We want to be worthy of belief in Christ. That takes place in all of our kinds of relationships. And so in that very sense, we are discipling, even though there isn't kind of a formal discipleship relationship. But boy, that's the way to lead people or influence people into wanting to think better about Jesus Christ, understand better who Christ is, and even want to follow Jesus Christ. And it may position us to be one day a discipler in a f more formal sense of a, of a relationship of, of mutual accountability and commitment. And that's the way I feel, I, even as a pastor, I want to be the kind of Christian that if you challenged me that there was something wrong with me, I wouldn't make you feel bad because I'm a superior or something, but that I would respond to your challenge in Christ honestly because it's not about ego, it's about wanting to follow him above all. so that I would even be good about causing you to feel good and even better about challenging me. Now, don't please, don't all show up at once. Let's pick numbers or something. But, but that's the idea. You see, I have some authority in terms of my responsibility, but I'm not a bigger, better person. I'm not superior. I'm not somehow from a different planet. My Christian experience on a day-to-day -day basis is very much like yours.
so I don't want to get into some kind of a false notion that I walk on clouds or something and look down on what you do, and therefore I can't be true to Christ because I'm trying to hide the fact that I'm really just like you. In fact, I want to draw upon that. That's part of what informs what I feel I do on Sunday to Sunday. Sure, I want to be entertaining. I mean, I don't want to bore you with God's Word. I want to energize you, but it's coming from my heart. It's coming from my experience as one who follows Christ. It comes out of that authenticity. And my passion is to share things with you that will help you as they, in fact, help me in this whole enterprise. Focus on doing, not just believing. And I guess the operative word to keep in mind there is just. As the point is, both are important. But sometimes we neglect the doing part, and we emphasize the, think, the, um, the believing part. You know, it really messes with discipleship when Jesus is loving and I'm not. That involves doing. I, can, I know a lot about love. I know more than you know about love, only because I've had a lot more opportunity to study the subject and work on it. But I can be just as selfish as you can. To do it is something where you have to surrender your will to the Lord by faith in the midst of daily living, driving, shopping, going to school, working with people that are not nice to you, and all the other things that make up life. It's right in the midst of that that... <laughs> that that love is supposed to be at work, and we're supposed to be doing it. We can have all that knowledge that we could give a seminar on love, but doing it, that, that, <laughs> that's what it's all about. And that applies to all the things that we know about the identity of who we are in Jesus Christ as we look at his life and as we look at that life lived out in the New Testament, you know, and we read the letters that Paul wrote and all of the other elements of those things that go in to the transformed, reformed Christian life. Keep your eyes on Jesus, we say, not on people. That's so important. But people, although they will let you down, when they're living for Christ, they should be showing you Christ too. They should be drawing you to look at Christ. And that's what we're talking about here. That's the part on the doing and not just believing. You know, there's a wonderful parable, and we love those words. I hear sometimes we'll cite them. You'll recognize them. The master in the parable said, well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> well done. Not well said, but well done. And that's what we want to appreciate. 
Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let's not misunderstand that. At the heart of his commandment and commandments was love. In fact, he said that in the context of loving other people. And love is the umbrella for all of the fruits of the Spirit. Love is the umbrella of forgiveness, of mercy, of kindness, of courtesy, of thoughtfulness, of selflessness. All the things that go into presenting the beauty of who Christ is, is found in love. And yet sometimes we focus on those commandments and like a friend of mine here in the church who was sharing with me how he's changing. He's being transformed in his life because he realized I have become a policeman for Christ, (laughs) concentrating on the thinking and not the doing. And he began to really focus on loving others, not policing them armed with God's commandments in the process. Focus on thinking, not just doing. (laughs) Probably one of the best examples of this is, uh, of course, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We sometimes forget because the Bible is familiar to us, especially if we've been churched and raised in the church, and it's just those verses or just those words or I've heard them a hundred times or that Bibleese. But the fact of the matter is, is this life-giving truth that has been revealed. Have you ever said to a friend, God will forgive you? God loves you. Those are two profound truths that you cannot say without the Bible, without the New Testament, without Jesus Christ. Those are revealed truths that you're not going to hear out there in the world. They're not going to be operative in the world view. And when you let that sink into your heart and life along with the other truths, when you think about those things and it starts to transform you, you look at the world differently. They have a different dictionary than we have. They have a different dictionary than we have. I can't illustrate this better than with an acquaintance, Drew Dick, who uh, wrote an article a couple of years ago I I know some people are real Starbucks haters, but you all know if you get a a coffee, a handcrafted coffee, you you get, it's called a, a a Java jacket. Java jacket. Say that 10 times really fast. Well, that's that little cup holder. Well, a couple of years back, Starbucks they had quotes from Oprah, Oprah Winfrey on the Java jackets. Maybe you remember that. But it kind of frustrated my friend because he disagreed with a lot of the philosophy that Oprah was uh, being, you know, her philosophy that was being peddled on the Java jackets. So here's one, for example. The only courage you ever need is the courage to live the life you want, Oprah Winfrey. So my friend, he changed it. The only courage you ever need is the courage to sacrifice the life you want. You see, how could he do that? He had 
another influence. He had the revelation of what God has done in Jesus Christ that is changing his whole outlook and heart toward the world. Here's another Oprah. Um, be more splendid. Be more extraordinary. Use every moment to fill yourself up. Oprah Winfrey. Drew said, be more humble. Be more ordinary. Use every moment to empty yourself. Oprah said, uh, know what sparks the light in you. Then use that light to illumine the world. Makes me feel good. But Drew said, know God sparks the light in you. Then use that light to illumine the world. Oprah said, your life is big. Keep reaching. And Drew said, your life is small. Keep serving. Oprah said, follow your passion. It will lead you to purpose. Drew said, follow your passion. It will lead you to ruin if that's all you follow. Oprah said, you are here not to shrink down to less, but to blossom into more of who you really are. And Drew said, I am here to shrink down to less, John the Baptist. <laughs> well, you get the idea. You see, if you're thinking, what was it Drew, uh, what was it Preston Sprinkle said? Well, he, he said, focus on thinking, not just doing. He's talking about as a disciple of Christ and how you think. And if you think God's thoughts after him, if you think about these profound spiritual truths that have been revealed to us that are transformative, then when you read stuff that the world is passing off as eloquent and inspired, you'll see it for what it is because you know there's a deeper truth, an upside-down kingdom truth compared to this world, and that's important to be a disciple. Integrate avenues for interaction, not just passive listening, is another point that was made a, a week ago. Basically, Make room for listening. Are you a good listener? Do you even have time to listen? I can speak about that candidly because I have to work very hard at listening. I'm told that women like silent men because they think they're listening. And they aren't. They're hearing you, but they're not listening. Listening is an art, and we have to be active, deliberate listeners. Mark Twain said if we were supposed to talk more than we listen, we would have two tongues and one ear. And there's a long heritage going back all the way to Zeno, the philosopher, who said we have two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice as much as we speak. 
Well, what Preston was saying to us is, you know, we have to listen and not just talk. I realize that on Sundays, this, I, you are a passive listener, except when you laugh or cry. It, I was a college teacher. I welcome interaction. I want to know, you know, that you're getting it. This is a tough venue for that, and I would, I would love question and answer, but then we would have to be here a lot longer, and I don't know if you're committed to stay a couple hours. But we have venues where we do that. Our groups, which are our, our small groups, we call them our groups, reaching out, raising up, reverencing Christ, our. Uh, our groups are small group venues where we build relationship and discipling, mutual discipling takes place and we, we actually discuss the messages so that we can interact with what's being said, raise questions, raise confusion, and, and also gain clarity. That happens in all of our groups, in all of our, our grow groups at the high school and other, uh, all of our student levels. And we want that in life, and we need that in our homes, and we need it in other areas of our life. I was called out on an emergency last night. I entered a situation where finally I was just had the opportunity to just be with the one person, and I listened for 30 minutes. Just listen. And it was hard because I, in my spirit, I wanted to jump in and correct things and make things straight and help things and soothe things and encourage things. But I just listened, just listened. And what I noticed over that 30 plus minutes is as time went on, the person who was saying good things and then saying bad things, good things and then bad things. And pretty soon the bad things started to disappear more and more. The good things started to come out more and more. And the person was leading their own thinking in a way to a place of real tenderness and humility and even kind of a brokenness where I, when I entered there was a great deal of, of anger and fury. And then I was able to speak very softly and didn't say an awful lot. I was more affirming, underscored good things that had been said and made room for follow-up. Sometimes we can't solve people's problems all at once. Sometimes they need a venue where someone will show them that they matter enough and we give them that dignity where we're just going to hear them and listen to them. We need to integrate avenues for interaction, not just passive listening. We need to nurture a holistic faith. There shouldn't be a division between the sacred and the secular. We should be taking the sacred into the secular. I ask, that's hard sometimes. But that's what the gospel is intended to do, is to go there, where it is. And our passion as Christians, are, you know, when I, I can remember taking a class as a young, young believer and wondering, well, what's going to happen to my other passions, you know, things that had to do with athletics and certain kinds of sports and abilities and giftings. I, I liked, I, was an, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be that kind of painter. What's going to happen to that, you know? Well, there can be a place for those things 
within the expression of your faith. In fact, a lot of our other giftings and abilities that come with our Christian life will flourish as we enter into that awareness that we are disciples. We are living out the Christian life in a way that can touch people where they're at. And sometimes those become points of connection. Empower the outliers. The good shepherd who left the 99 to chase down the one, the one was an outlier. Outliers don't fit the mold. They don't always walk in step with the crowd. Fortunately, the Bible is a history of God's redemption, and it is just laced with outliers whom God used in profound ways. In fact, the disciples of Jesus were outliers. Matthew was a tax collector. The people that, the, all the people hated tax collectors. They did the work of Rome. They did the work of the occupying power and force. Jesus called an outlier like a tax collector to follow him. And then on the other hand, Simon the Zealot, Zealots were trying to overthrow Rome, get Rome out. So these two guys, one an agent of Rome and one a rebel against Rome, are both the beginnings of the church? Crazy. And then you've got the Sons of Thunder. I'm glad they were there. They probably added a little oil to the fire. I mean, they were known for their fiery attitudes. And we could go on and on. Jesus works with people that the world looks past. He looks at and calls people that the world looks beyond. And that's you. God wants to do great things in your lives. And he wants you to be a part of that. All things are possible with God. I love the New Living Translation. It says, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, it's not impossible. It's possible. If we took that attitude to the way we look at other people and we face challenges during our day, the interruptions, whatever it is, if we realize God could be in this, this could be God's divine appointment. It would change the way we see our role in that opportunity and realize it couldn't have happened to a better person because I'm the person that is like Jesus in this situation. And I can make a difference in the world because of him. And that's the final point. Focus on Jesus. Focus on him. Because that's the whole ball game in Jesus. I have more to say on that, but I'm not going to say it. Yes, I'm not going to say it. Will you stand with me? 
Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. May we truly be inspired as our eyes are set on you in Christ, as we see in him the model of what you want to do in our own lives, in our character and qualities, and how we should be agents of transformation. What an honor. What an opportunity. We praise you for it. We praise you for the aid and the work of your spirit in our lives as we pursue that. And we praise you not only for this, but all of your blessings and for your reign today. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, God bless you.